This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hi there, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Inspiration Project. We are delighted to welcome a very special guest. It's an individual who I've personally had a, a long regard for and uh, hold in high esteem. And it's a bit of a privilege to be able to talk with the Reverend Tim Costello um, today. Uh, Tim is a Baptist minister, graduated probably a few more years ago than he might care to remember. Um, <laughs> and a bachelor's degree in divinity and a master's of theology, served as the minister at St Kilda Baptist Church before relocating to Collins Street Baptist, been heavily involved in social welfare movements, first starting a legal office, uh, moving into Urban Seed, a, a non-for-profit organisation run by the Baptist community, and been more recently the CEO of World Vision for a, for a period of about 12 years or so, um, a a position that brought him very much into the focus of, of uh, the public and uh, representing that, that very fine organisation. He continues to be involved in, in issues to do with uh, social welfare and uh, advocating for those less uh, advantaged in our society. Uh, Reverend Costello, welcome to our podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Brendan. A delight to be with you. That's quite a full bio that I've read out for you. How, how have you managed to fit so much into uh, the, the relatively short span of, of that period of service? Well, I'll share with you my secret. I've lived a long time. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur that's still walking the earth. Maybe your young people think um, I should be extinct, uh, but here, here I am. And if you've uh, lived a long time, uh, you do have the privilege of doing quite a few things. I, I do think you're underselling yourself a little bit there, but I'll, I'll, I'll take that as uh, some self-deprecation. Um, Reverend Costello, clearly you're, you began your, your public service as a minister, minister of religion. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to, to that vocation? What was it that uh, took you to that first uh, opportunity to study over yeah. Switzerland? The story is a little bit more complex. I began uh, as a lawyer and I wanted to go and study theology to be a better lawyer. I was doing criminal law and every uh, client I defended uh, had totally repented before going to court and they were never going to do crime again. I'd keep them out of prison only to see them going back often to a life of crime and that was depressing to me. I was also doing family matrimonial law where... Uh, Couples who loved each other had uh, separated and were often scratching each other's eyes out over the property or mm. the furniture or access custody to the kids. And as a Christian lawyer, I thought, I need to study theology. I came back with a theological degree from Switzerland and opened my legal practice in a small church in St Kilda, in our city, Melbourne, only had eight members, all elderly. Uh, they agreed to let me open up a legal practice in the church if I'd be their minister. Mm. 
So uh, still back then, my vision was to be a, a Christian lawyer, justice, what the Bible prophets and Jesus and Paul talked about was my passion. And so I slowly morphed from law to grace. Mm. It took a long time to move permanently that way, but that's that's the that's, that's the story. That's quite a profound story that you you uh, in a very practical sense live with those two conceptions of of law and and grace. Do you do you see those things being at opposite ends of a spectrum or as dichotomy, um, complementary? Well, How do you understand are... them? Yeah, both are realities in our lives. Uh, Law is that uh, ordering of life so there isn't chaos and anarchy. And uh, um, even in countries with dictators and tyrants, uh, order is still preferable to anarchy and uh, therefore law is really about that. Grace is that dimension that's particularly gospel and Jesus. It's that sense uh, we aren't going to get what we deserve because God gives us a second chance because God sees that there is uh, opportunity to learn, to repent, to change, um, to experience gift, pure gift. That's what grace is. Mm. So, um, running a legal practice and uh, defending people was really the law end, they were in trouble with the law. Uh, The ministry in the church was the grace end and your lives can be transformed and you can be a different person, the person who was in trouble with the law. Mm. That's how I merged those two for really 15 years as a minister and as a lawyer Mm. uh, in my my work. Mm. Did, Did you find that you're acquiring your Bachelor of Divinity and understanding at a more theoretical level the the doctrines of grace, did it change the way you practised law? Yeah, very much. Um, and it wasn't just the theological stuff. It was the fact that I was already a Christian and I already knew that, uh, uh, boy, do I need grace. Boy, do people need grace. Mm. Uh, we all know that uh, law is necessary, but law doesn't have the power to transform. Mm. Uh Law has the power to discipline, punish, uh, correct, but transformation comes from within, and that's mm. what grace is about. An mm. encounter, in my case, with Jesus, reflecting on that in my theological studies, realizing that uh, I could do the lawyering bit, but people needed more. Mm. They needed to know who they were, created by God, what their purposes were, why their lives were stuffing up and going wrong. Uh, so. Law and grace actually uh, were mm. under the same church roof mm. part of my ministry. In a very practical sense, a literal sense. Um, Reverend Costello, you, it's wonderful to hear that, or you've made reference in, in that comment that you didn't just understand the theory of grace, that you understood it by experience. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? What were the points in your life where you experienced grace and and owned that or, or understood it as, as part of your reality? Yeah, I, look, I, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family. Uh, so the concept of grace, even the practice of grace was there in my home. I don't take for granted the fact of having a loving family. I know so many people come from families where there's been 
divorce, there's sometimes been domestic violence, there's often been uh, a lack of love. So in some ways, uh, the grace was first experienced by parents who loved God, who loved me, who could discipline me, but also show that there was a thing called acceptance, not based on me doing better. Often Christianity is heard by people outside as you failed and you should do better and you must try harder. Mm. Actually, that's a uh, deformed view of Christianity. Mm. Uh, Christianity is you, you fail because you've lost in, an encounter with the God who made you, mm. with the purposes for which he's made you. Those purposes in this, in this understanding of faith say you will fail and God will forgive and he will give you opportunity to actually experience unconditional acceptance so that you can be set free at another level, at a higher level, to live and work according to God's purposes. So for me, grace started in the family. Um, very practically, I learned uh, in my early legal practice that I wasn't too different to the people I was representing. I might uh, have a law degree. I might have a respectable life, but uh, the nasties were inside me. Mm. Envy and resentment and careerism uh, of greed. And grace actually deals with me acknowledging those nasties and handing my life back to God. It happens daily. It happened in a, a born-again experience for me in my teenage years. But uh, those things... A daily, this God who accepts me even though I sin. A wonderful book by Philip Yancey said, God loves no matter what I do. God doesn't love me less because of what I've done. Mm. He loves me, period, end of sentence. Mm. That for me is grace. That has been life-changing for me. Amen. That's wonderful. So you, you mentioned that you had a, a personal transformative experience with God's grace in your teenage years. That would have been at the stage where you were deciding on a career, deciding on what life was to have for you. Did it did it play a role in you choosing the law as where you, you intended to explore your profession? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the truth is that uh, um, there are two, I think, fundamental things that I realised. The first was, uh, I'm not just a biological freak in a cosmic zoo, uh, a random set of cells and atoms that uh, at some point woke up and developed consciousness that I was made by God. I'm not self-invented, I'm created. Mm. And that sense that I am created then leads to, well, who is this God who's created me? Does this God have purposes for my life? So in my Born again, conversion story. It was really an awakening to saying, this God has created me, has a purpose for my life. And it's not random and it's not by chance. Um, I remember thinking this when uh, in my urban seed days, I sat in the gutter literally with a heroin addict. We had uh, opened a drug detoxification centre because heroin was awash mm. in the streets of Melbourne. Many the people dying from heroin overdoses were higher than the road toll. 
And I said to this person, trying to convince him to get into our detox centre, you know what? I believe God made you. And what amazed me was he just burst into tears. Mm. And I thought, oh, he's not religious. Maybe I've offended him. Through the tears, he blurted out, God made me. My old man told me I'm just an accident. He said, I've only ever thought I was an interruption, a burden. Wow. God made me. This was a novel thought. Now, in my coming to Christ, that's the foundation of my opening up my life to Christ, that yeah. God made me. And he has a purpose for my life. And this sense of being redeemed, saved, the words we use, is saved for what? Saved for the purpose that God made me for, because he made me, and he knows He knows what's best for my life. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was all happening in that, um, that conversion experience. And, and so what, what was going on for you at, at school that pointed you towards legal studies or, or the legal profession? Well, well, it was more what was going on uh, in terms of my reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible as a love letter from God, mm. and I started to read the prophets and let justice roll down like a mighty river. And uh, when you haven't cared for the widow, the stranger, we call that the refugee, the orphan, in biblical language, you mock God mm. as God's image is seen in these. So I started to actually have a picture of justice as being the purposes of God for the world. Mm. I chose law because I understood law could be a way of delivering justice. I was the to discover that often law is just commercial and just about business. But for me, the choice to do law came out of my faith, mm. that God's purposes for the world include justice. They include mercy. They include charity, acts of love. But they, the demand of justice is absolutely fundamental. And Jesus stood in the shoes of those prophets mm. and proclaiming the reign of God. So for me... It wasn't even so much school and saying, oh, law pays well, law has got great prestige, wow, I'll be able to show people a business card and they'll go, you're a lawyer, wow, that's great. It was actually connected to my faith and understanding uh, understanding the Bible I was reading. Uh, you're, you're describing something that, if I'm understanding your your perspective, is shaping a very different or very grand conception of the law is I think there's a lot of people who would think that law is about executing justice. You're describing something that's more about crafting just structures, just institutions, a, a, a just society. Is that, could you see a difference in those understandings of what the law is about? Yeah. So law, law is used in many terms. Uh, God's law Ten Commandments at Sinai include what we might call criminal matters, thou shalt not kill. They include moral matters, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's donkey or covet just our neighbour's car because it's a better car than ours. They include moral matters uh, that are personal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. (laughs) So law is used in a very wide range. Certainly law in civil and criminal matters that I was trained as a lawyer or is executing justice. But it's an execution based on that 
moral and spiritual law that I saw also in the Bible. Mm. Uh, justice and the laws that uh, governed Israel that said, show generosity to the stranger, the refugee who's mm. not Jewish. Uh, so law is used in big and small senses. Mm. Yep, executing justice, but the architecture of what God wants for the world. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I, I started that train of our conversation by asking, had your study of theology or your experience of grace changed the way you do law? Can I flip that question around the other way? Has your experience or your understanding of law changed the way you serve as a minister? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that my understanding of law uh, then said, yes, Christians are to obey the authorities to live law-abiding lives, but that's the minimum bar. Uh, the higher bar for Christians is to proclaim there is a God. We're not self-invented, we're created. Uh, we're not self-sufficient. In the coronavirus, haven't we learned that? Mm. Every single one of us is vulnerable. Tom Hanks, Boris Johnson, lots of famous people mm. get COVID-19. Um, that actually the understanding of the higher bar of Christian calling is to know who made us, to walk humbly with that God in a relationship, to do acts of mercy, to love justice, uh, that this is the higher bar. And grace for me is the highest bar. It says I'm not even going to get what I deserve because this is a God who loves extravagantly, who is generous in forgiveness, who gives me a second, a third and a fourth chance. Um, so absolutely the two, law and grace, have uh, influenced how I practice ministry. Mm, yeah, that's very good. Reverend Costello, uh, maybe a little bit more of a, a personal question. You have had opportunities to, to be recognised as a significant leader in various points of your, your career and your service, President of the Baptist Union, a member of the Australian Earth Charter Committee, uh, Victorian of the Year, significant, uh, a delegate member to the um, community uh, officer of the Order of Australia. What is it that you think has, that, that God has uh, placed in you that has allowed you to exercise those leadership gifts in those various ways? Yeah. Uh, I have just written my memoir, A Lot With A Little, where I am reflecting on all of that because I think, for all of us, certainly when you get to my age, you look back and life's a bit of a puzzle. You're actually a puzzle to yourself. I didn't set out to win any of those honours or awards. Uh, there wasn't a career ladder that I was climbing saying, each rung I'm getting paid more, more social status. It was more a ladder of calling. I'm called to be a Christian. I'm called to proclaim that this God who made the world has purpose for my life, for our lives. I'm called to say to people there is grace when we stumble and fall. So at one level, my life's a puzzle as to why secular bodies have recognised and given me honours 
they're all very lovely. But at another level, they weren't my aim. They weren't my ambition. My aim has always been to be faithful to Jesus, to follow him. Mm. Uh, and so you do uh, look at uh, those honours that you, you know, pointed out with an eye of surprise, of puzzle. Uh, I'm saying, well, at the end of the day, we only live our lives really with an audience of one. Mm. That audience is God. Mm. And God sees all. God knows my frailties, my fumbles, my failures. Um, and yet, that God still loves me. That that actually is uh, the explanation when I've written my memoir a lot with a little about my life. Mm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's terrific. The the notion of of um, action seems to be prevalent in your life. That you hold convictions, you form beliefs, but they they impel you to to do things. Is that part of your makeup or is that something that you have learned to discipline yourself to do? Yeah, I, I, I guess it's part of my makeup. Um, uh, as, as I say, uh, uh, I think all of us are a puzzle to ourselves um, and you almost need people outside who know you best to... Uh, describe who you are because you live within the bubble of your own self and you go, uh, there are things that stir me. I feel uh, that this is unjust, that I must act. Why do I get stirred in that way and I look at others who don't? Mm. Um, that's the makeup, I guess. Mm. Uh, I think that's the best way to answer your question, Brendan. I mm. can't explain it otherwise. Mm. Those actions, taking those decisions that, that you described, uh, however big they might have been or however intimate for you they were about being faithful to your call, your sense of, of purpose, they've, they've carried you into some arenas where there's been a lot of uh, counter ideas, contentious ideas. Do you, do you think that there is um, a place for Christianity to be manifest in the, the public discourse in the public policy? Yes, I, I do. Um, look, I think we are living in times where Brand Church got trashed by the Royal Commission into abuse of children. And we have to say that uh, there was some terrible failures by denominational leaders who knew about sometimes pastors abusing kids and hid, hid that fact, moved them around, didn't say no. It's very clear. Jesus said, whoever hurts one of these little ones, better a millstone put around his neck. For these children, for such as them, belong the kingdom of God. Therefore, protecting children shouldn't just be the, the job of all adults. It's particularly the job of those who follow Jesus. Mm. And there was failure. So it's understandable that in the public realm uh, there has been some whiplash. People have looked at the church and said, you did not walk your talk and now you want to lecture us and you want to tell us what's right or wrong. Go back and sort out your own nest. There's, there's been some of that. But by and large, even though many Christians 
perceive, and I do, secular hostility. Secular hostility is not the same as persecution. I don't think Christians are persecuted in Australia. I can take you to many countries I've visited where Christians really are persecuted, Mm. and it's really quite terrible in terms of the hostility that imprisons, that sometimes takes their lives. I think in Australia, hostility is different to persecution. Secular hostility is more, well, uh, are you telling us you're better because you know the truth and then we look at where you've failed Mm. and you don't seem better than us. Uh, So when you walk, you talk, actually uh, we'll get it. Um, So having said that, I still think uh, Christians are having a great influence in the public space. We have a Christian prime minister. Um, There are Christians in uh, the other parties, including Labor. In fact, in Parliament, there is a higher proportion of Christians who identify as Christians than in the nation as a whole. Is that right? So when it comes to actual leadership, uh, Christians are there. They are there. And I think we sometimes have a persecution mentality that overtakes us and yeah. says, oh, we're all just being persecuted. Yeah, there's some secular hostility, but it's, it's not the same as persecution. Do you think Christianity as a, as a philosophy, as, a, as an approach to understanding the world stacks up? Does it hold its own in the, the marketplace of ideas? Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, that human rights actually come from Jesus. Mm. Uh, Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a... Uh, a German philosopher called Christianity a slave religion Mm. and a slave morality. He said, why would you care for the weak, the poor, the dispossessed? It's the strong and the uh, talented who uh, create excellence and do the most for the world. Mm. Well, secular human rights come from Jesus Mm. who actually preached good news for the poor, liberty for captives, Mm. whose last serious teaching before the cross, it's found in Matthew 25, was, but Lord, when did we see you hungry or naked or in prison? When you visited the least of these, Jesus says, you did this to me. Now, Nietzsche called that a slave morality. Why would you bother with the hungry, the naked, the homeless, those in prison? Uh, Well, Christianity actually stacks up because secular human rights, universal rights, indivisible rights, dignity for all, actually is a profound legacy of Jesus. Mm. So uh, I certainly think it stacks up. Secular people often don't realise this, but this is where their source of values come from also. So do you think that matters? Do you think that a society that values um, caring for those that are, that are weak and frail, do you think it matters whether they recognise that they are sourced in the love of God originally or is it good to have compassion in a society and care and welfare just because they're good things in themselves? Yeah, I certainly think it matters. Uh, I think um, if you do not have a sense that, human dignity is universal because 
every person carries the image of God, uh, is loved by God, is created by God, then uh, your social justice, human rights, etc., secular can burn out. It can't be sustained. You don't quite know why. Uh, I'll just look after myself. So I think um, it being rooted and nourished by that Christian vision is very, very important. Mm. The the ideal of uh, social care, social welfare is obviously deeply important to you and informed by your faith. How do you think Australia, Australians like to think of themselves as a, as a pretty equitable society, a pretty um, just society, giving people a fair go and, and flat, relatively classless. What, what's your, you've seen different parts of Australian society. You've led different parts of Australian society. Where do you feel we, we might measure up in regards to our own aspirations? Yes. I, look, I, I think, uh, deep down, uh, most Australians are, uh, living off the, legacy of the what we call Judeo-Christian values. Uh, that innate sense of fairness wasn't just because uh, of a, a secular vision of Australia. It was uh, a vision that was preached, that mm. was week by week in worship service nourished, mm. where people not just listen to uh, a morally, spiritually serious sermon, but passed around a plate and said, how can we meet the needs in our community? How can we start a school? How can we care for the homeless? Churches, living out of that, the vision of Jesus, modelled for Australia that innate sense of fairness that most Australians seem to have. So I think... Um, uh, Australians often have forgotten that as we've become more secularised and think we we just invented ourselves and we're self-sufficient. But that's actually that's actually the story mm. that gave them the imagination for fairness and the instinct for fairness. Mm. Uh, I think it's very fundamentally important. Mm. We, we've seen some of the most generous acts of charity and of giving. In recently in Australia with the outworking of the bushfires and the floods and people's generosity poured out in those moments of, of intense tragedy. Do you, do you think we, we're a generous people? Yes, I, I do. Uh, I think Australia's uh, uh, level of giving compared with other nations, uh, it's not at the highest, but it's actually up in the top 10. So there is a genuine Australian sense of um, that could be me, I'm blessed, I wasn't in the bushfires, but they are fellow Australians, I'll give. Um, so I, I do think that's, that's certainly within us. Um, I think uh, there are particular blocks in our heads. We've had a block in our head about anyone who's a boat person. Mm. And uh, we've often been very harsh and mm. said they had no right to come. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing that, you know, we had such strict border controls with both people and mm. had left them on Manus Island and Nauru. And then cruise ships can pull up in Sydney and people with COVID-19 can walk mm. off without any checks. Yeah. Another boat arrives and suddenly we've got high levels of infection. Yeah, It's 
pretty puzzling yeah. when we've been the nation known around the world with the strictest policy against boats. Uh, so there is blind, there are blind spots yes. where we're blind to yes. some of the refugees who also carry the image of God. Generous to our own, but suspicious of the stranger. Is is that? Yeah, and I think this is uh, natural. Look, societies have always organised themselves around my tribe, my mob. We need our tribe to belong. We they get our humour. They're there when we're alone. They love our rugby or AFL or cricket. Yeah. And that's what culture is. They're my tribe. And we've, right through history, wanted a tribe. Mm. Uh, What's profound about Christian faith was it was the first internationalist uh, movement. It said neither Jew nor Gentile, Mm. neither slave nor free. It broke down the tribes Mm. and says slave and free both carry the image of God. Jew and Gentile both carry the image of God. Yes. Uh, therefore, we don't just love our own, yes. we love all. Uh, and we see that image of God and give them dignity yes. and support because they're made by God. That's, yes. that's what's radical about the Christian message. Yeah, that's good. You spent 12 years as CEO of maybe the best-known charity in the nation, World Vision, dependent upon people's giving. I, I want to uh, put something to you. I, I heard a quote very recently that made the comment or the observation that charity in the instance of a, a tragic circumstance is relatively easy. The creation of justice is much harder. Do you have yeah. a, a sense of resonance with that notion? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I look, I lead Micah Australia. It's based on Micah 6.8, do justice, love, mercy or charity, walk humbly. I'd say charity is a choice, mm. but in Scripture, justice is a demand. Mm. Now, we need both. Mm. Charity is a choice, and I donate, and I do a random act of kindness. Justice, which is a demand in, in the Bible, is found in the Old Testament uh, to obey God, Israel's you will obey God so there may be no poor among you. And whether it was forgiveness of debts every seven years, mm. 50 years jubilee in return of land, this was justice. This was with structures so there may be no poor among you. Mm. Uh, justice as a demand is much harder mm. because for those who've written the rules, those rules often work for the powerful yeah, and right. the elite. Yeah. Uh, Doing justice in the Bible is a demand and it remains hard to do. Yeah. It sort of takes us back to where we started, isn't it, about the, the issuing of justice or the crafting of justice in, in the way people experience society. Uh, Reverend Costello, you've had different chances to, to maybe enter the, the forums where the laws of our country are made. You served as mayor of St Kilda for a while and had opportunity maybe to go a little further in a political career. What guided you in your decisions to to stay at the coalface, making a difference for yeah. people in the practicalities rather than in the, the institutions of parliament? Yeah, well, one of the reasons I wrote my memoir uh, was to 
ask of myself that question because just as I've been a puzzle to myself and most people are, think they're a puzzle to them themselves, I was still trying to work out why I didn't go into politics. I was offered a Senate seat. I would have gone straight in as a casual vacancy uh, in a federal parliament. I could have uh, got my hands on the levers of power and pulled them, and I chose not to. And uh, I realised, looking back, that politics has been my temptation, mm. but not my vocation. Oh, very. A vocation is a calling. That's very good. Um, my calling was to stay at the cold face, mm. to be faithful in what I was doing. So that that really is the answer, Brendan. Mm, that's that's beautiful, and it, it seems to be the story, or or a theme of the story of your life that God holds you true to that first claim that He's made on your heart. And he he uh, reemphasizes. Absolutely no. Yeah. Uh, one no, one no, last no. question, um, Reverend Costello, before yeah. we wind up. Uh, the things we've been talking about: social justice, the crafting of institutions, the you know, a, a generous approach to to those that are that are coming to our country, to those that find themselves in difficulty, would be in in strict terms described as as in politi- political terms left rather than right do you do you see the world in those sort of split terms is it is it left right christian non-christian grace law how, how do you reconcile some of those um observations people might make no i i don't see them in those terms uh i say to people don't go left don't go right go deeper and go deeper into that's jesus good. yeah that's good. and I find it curious that sometimes Christians uh, wearing a left or right political lens read the Bible mm. and select out just the bits that suit their politics. Yes. Um, so those on the left will pick out plenty of the Bible verses about justice. Those on the right will pick out plenty of the Bible verses about personal morality and family and marriage. Actually, the Bible speaks to both. Yes. It, it uh, doesn't go either left or right. Yes. It goes deeper. Yes. And uh, that's what I call on people to do. Yeah, that's excellent. That's that a great way for us to, to finish up. Reverend Costello, I, I just want to thank you again for your time today. But beyond that, on behalf of the Christian community, I thank you for your life of service that has been given so faithfully. And I think we've heard today in your conversation just how faithfully that has been manifest. You uh, heralded as a national, a living national treasure uh, in, in recent mm-hmm. accolades. But I know that what will give you far more contentment and satisfaction is to know that you receive well done, good and faithful servant from he who called you. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for uh, those kind words. We honour you. Um, we will continue to pray for you in the work that you do with uh, Micro Australia. It's uh, important work. Hopefully there will be some others who get to know a bit about that through listening to this podcast. Reverend Costello, thank you and God be with you. And with you. Thank you.